The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. Good morning, I'm Dr. Mark. This is the Tea Health Show and in studio, Sister Elise van Art and our producer, Sim Piwe. Morning, Sims. Morning, ladies. Morning. Okay, so we're continuing our theme um, and discussions around women's health. And today we are going to take a look at cancer in women, the prevalence, etc., etc. So um, I'm going to start with a question. What is cancer? Isn't it cells that multiply and then your body starts attacking? Yes, in uh, broadly. Okay. Broadly. So what we need to understand is that cancer is mutated cells um, because of damaged DNA that start replicating uncontrollably. And then the body can't fight that and it can't repair it. So then it forms something that eats away at mm-hmm. other tissue and destroys other tissue. So broadly, that is what cancer is. The next question that I want to ask is, Simpiwe, how prevalent do you think cancer is? I think it's gone up over the years. So I think, like, if I had to say one in five people suffer from cancer or are diagnosed with are some sort of male cancer. And female? Cancer. 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 I, I would say that. You said one in five. Sister so Elise, do you want to venture a guess? Because when I saw the statistic, I actually fell out of my chair. Well, if you ask that question and, and some peewee answered <laughs> 20% of. The world population sounds like 25%. Actually, the statistics in the United States is that one in three people Goodness. will have a diagnosis of cancer at some point in their life. Um, and to me, you know what, that was shocking. I, I, I was aware or it, I, I felt as if, you know what, I know more people with a diagnosis of cancer or uh, hear about more and more people with a diagnosis of cancer. But for me, this one was actually quite So does that include diagnosis of precancerous growth as no, well? No, cancer. cancer. Straightforward cancer yeah. already. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, we often, I think, make the mistake to think that it's um, genes mm-hmm. that cause that. No, I think most people know or assumes it's environmental factors that also. Environmental factors cause mutations okay. in genes. And it's that mutated gene <coughs> that is responsible for a cell behaving differently mm-hmm. and or not repairing. So 
environmental factors would cause damage to DNA. Yeah. So uh, if we look at DNA, DNA is the sequence of amino acids. And if that sequence changes, the body has an ability to repair it. Yeah. But if that repair function is no longer effective, it changes the DNA. And therefore, the expression of that DNA becomes mutated, and that's what leads to cancer. Okay. Okay. Does okay. that make sense? Yes. Something else that I want us to just understand is the, the concept of risk. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I explain it as I do to my patients that's in the practice, if you get in your car and you drive to the shops, mm-hmm. you have an inherent risk of being in an accident. Am I correct? Yes. There's always a risk that something might happen and you're in an accident. So that's risk. As you change the factors and environment, say for instance, it rains, your risk because of a decreased visibility, the risk because of the slippery road conditions changes the likelihood of you being in an accident. Your risk increases. Your risk increase. Cool. Okay. But, and this is what we need to understand, just because... The environmental factors, the visibility, for instance, changed. That's n- and you are in an accident. It's not necessarily because you couldn't see the car in front of you or the car behind you couldn't see you. It could have been that you know what, your car broke down in the middle of the road and someone drove into it. So risk changes, but it is not responsible for the incident. Yes. Okay. So, and I want us to understand that because certain things can change your risk profile, but it's not that it, directly causes uh, cancer, for instance. Makes sense. Okay. Do you understand that concept? Mm -hmm. Because I actually think it's something that's a little bit difficult to grasp. But are you going the route of, for instance, my mother has breast cancer, her mother has breast cancer, etc., etc. So the risk is higher for me as for some peewee to get breast cancer and I can do something about that risk and minimize it? Um, Yes and no. 
there is something called family cancers or cancer clusters. Yeah. Now, cancer clusters points to in a certain population or a certain demographic, there's suddenly a increase in the amount of diagnosed cancers. So think about Chernobyl. Okay. Okay, yeah. Because of the radiation, Hmm. the population that was there had the risk factors changed. Now, you know what? It's not only the risk factor that changed. We know that radiation causes mutations in genes. And these people had a lot of weird cancers, which they would necessarily not have had. So that's a cluster thing. And then and you their have, descendants also then has a higher risk of developing. They have a higher risk because of a change in the gene, which they then inherited. Yeah. But it's, and this is what I want to come to, because this for me was interesting. Um, Simpiwi, have you heard of BRCA genes for women with breast cancer? No. Angelina Jolie. Um, I remember once upon a time she came up with the story, but I, I don't... Okay, so you remember that she came up with a story that she has a gene mm-hmm. and um, therefore she had the mastectomies done. Yes. Now, actually, all of us have that gene. All men, all women have the BRCA gene. We call it breast cancer gene. Okay. BRCA1 and 2. The role of those genes are to protect us from developing cancer. So the responsibility of that gene is to repair damaged cells so that they do not become cancerous. It's a mutation of the bracket in the bracket gene itself that stops it from working effectively. So it's if you have a bracket gene, all of us have it. It's what is the mutation in the gene so that that gene doesn't function as it's supposed to. Mm. And that changes your risk for developing cancer. So, Elise, we know from a Women's Health Initiative study, um, when it comes, for instance, to hormones and patients with mutations in the bracket gene or bracket genes in itself that it actually doesn't change the risk. You you remember that study. Yes, yes. But these things are so complicated that, you know what, I think the person in the street hears things which they don't fully understand or that's not explained to them. And it can create um, misinformation or as my favorite idiot calls it, fake news. <laughs> so um, that's just a quick 
overview mm -hmm. of cancer. Cancer is increasing because of the changes that we as a society are creating to our own risk profile. Okay. So again, if you change the driving conditions to something that's more dangerous or more prone, there's a higher risk. And that's what we need to understand. Okay. Okay. So most common cancers in women. Breast cancer? It's number one, I think, yes. You would think that, yes. It's actually number two. Yeah. Most common cancer in women? Skin cancer. Okay, I want to go that route. I didn't know that. Neither According did I. All my sources, it was always breast cancer. Skin cancer. Okay, actually. but what's the prevalence skin cancer in women then? What is the prevalence? Yeah, no, no the, which one is the, which cancer is more prevalent, skin cancer is more prevalent in women? You need to understand that when you look at skin cancers, the one that we all think and, about and fear is melanoma. Yeah. But melanoma is not that common. Yeah. You have other skin cancers like basal cell carcinomas, which comes directly from sun exposure. Yeah. Um, your actinic keratosis. Do you know what an actinic keratosis mm. is? Oh. Um, I don't. I don't see black people with actinic keratosis a lot. But, but that's in a white people, condition. it's a precancerous okay. lesion. In white, in in white or fair Fitzpatrick's. Okay. Now Fitzpatrick is just the color of the skin, and you know its ability to manage sun exposure. Um, it's that hard little crusty, flaky thingies that you get on your legs or your arms or your nose or your forehead. So it's just this little patch of dry skin. Hmm. So that's an actinic keratosis. And that's where those cells are starting to mutate. It's also known as solar keratosis. Solar keratosis, yes. Okay. And... They then progress to basal cell carcinomas. Now, the other one that uh, people get is rodent ulcers. And I don't know if you've ever seen a patient with a rodent ulcer. No, I don't even know what's a rodent ulcer. So think <laughs> about what if, if you… Just imagine a mouse. That's all I Exactly. What does a mouse do to a piece of cardboard? Oh, okay. It chews it. It eats it. So it eats it away. So a rodent ulcer is… Um, a, a cancer that sits and it eats the skin mm, away. So you have this, <laughs> you have this wound that just keeps on growing and growing. So you know what? It often happens on the nose, where it just eats away a nose or um, a piece of skin. So that's a rodent ulcer. We also see them on legs. Mm. So the most prevalent one is. Skin cancer. So, Elise, I know that you did a lot of research on this topic. So, what what do we say about skin okay, cancer? I also want to touch on um, something that I read up about, which was very, very interesting for me, is that melanoma affects um, women before 
the age of 50. It's high in women be age before the age of 50. Melanoma. Melanoma. Yes. And one in 40 women will suffer from melanoma. But the incidence is high in men. I know we're not talking about men today. But what I found with my research is that women are protected against, inherently protected against skin cancers because of estrogen in the skin. Hmm. Can you maybe help me with that one? While men is more prone to skin cancer or the the worst skin cancers like the melanoma, etc., women are more protected because of um, estrogen's function or role in the skin. Well, you know, but what I know about estrogen is that it's anti-inflammatory and it supports the immune system. Yeah. So if we think about what causes cancer, it's a gene mutation or DNA, not a gene mutation, it's mutation in the DNA. Of a cell, yes. Of a cell. So, you know what, um, if your immune system is functioning properly, your risk for DNA damage is decreased. Yeah. Think about patients with HIV. Mm. They start developing weird and wonderful cancers. Not that any cancer is wonderful. But it's because the immune system is compromised that the ability to identify changes in DNA structure becomes compromised. Mm. Your immune system not only fights infections, but it fights changes to DNA and mutations. Mm. So um, I, I think it plays a role there. Okay, what is squamous cell? Squamous cell carcinoma is if we look at your different cell types, you have basal cells, mm-hmm. which forms the basal membrane, so it's a little bit deeper. Squamous cell is a flat cell, so think of paving. Okay. So the structure of that cell looks more like paving that you put down, where your, but flat paving. Okay. Um, your basal cells are the ones underneath, a little bit deeper, and they actually look like bricks. So it's just a different type of cell. The ones slightly more superficial and in different areas. Is the squamous cell carcinoma more more prevalent because of, of direct UV, UV re, sun exposure? Sun Absolutely. exposure. Okay. Absolutely, it's it's all about sun exposure, and it's it's more treatable than the deeper cancers. And does it? sort of mutate or spray so to the nice deeper thing dishes. about basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas are that they don't penetrate easily. Okay. So they they spread outwards but not down. Yeah, because one wants to protect muscle, bone, yes. Yes. vascular structures. Your melanoma on the other hand is, a deep is far more likely 
to invade instead of just spread. So inv- it invades down deeper into the body. Yeah. And now it starts getting um, connections to blood vessels, um, et cetera, et cetera, which feeds it. So the more dangerous one of these cancers is melanoma. Um, your vis- the ones that are more visible yeah. are your basal and your squamous cell carcinomas because they sit on top of the skin. Okay, so and you can that- see the changes. Melanoma, a little bit more difficult to diagnose. Yeah, it's usually hidden. Yeah, on the trunk where nobody looks for it. On the yes, we've the- we've had um, one of our patients who's um, in Durban, and he was diagnosed recently with invasive melanoma, um, and it was on his inner thigh. So you know what? Um, it's usually on ears, sun-exposed areas like ears. Mm face, arms, um, the, the lower legs, etc., etc., and then often for men on the trunk mm-hmm. where it's on the back or on the chest or something like that. Okay. Okay. So skin cancer, most prevalent cancer, what do we do about this? Number one, avoid the sun. Everyone needs to be in the sun. It's good for you, but it's the timing okay. of being in the sun. Always wear sunscreen. Whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and you know what? Uh, you shouldn't be lying next to the pool from 11 o'clock until at least 3 o'clock during the day. Um, and if you are, definitely with sunscreen. It's... It's shown that three sunburns, three sunburns. Now think about sunburn is when you become red and burny and painful and um, increases your risk for melanoma by 10%. Three. Three, just three. Sure. Just three. Come on, Simpiwe, I think you cannot say that the sun is definitely more harsh than it's been when you were a child. Yeah. You, you feel it. Uh, you know what? I play a lot of sport. I've played sports since I was a child. Um, and the sun now burns. Yes. I, I'm lucky. I have a Fitzpatrick, dark Fitzpatrick three. So, you know what, people in my family don't often burn. But even with sunscreen, after a day in the sun, I'm, I'm, I can feel that my skin has taken a hammering. So, prevention for skin cancer, avoid the sun, wear sunscreen, and as with all the others, lifestyle changes, but we're going to get into that one. Sister Elise, um, I think we know a lot about breast cancer. Yes, we do. So I want—I don't want us to run out of time. I actually want to leave that one for a little bit later. Okay. The other common cancers that women get, there's five. Um, 
And number two is lung cancer. Hmm. So breast cancer, well, skin cancer, lung, uh, breast cancer, lung cancer. Um, What's the incidence in females? Of lung cancer. Yeah. Elise, I'm going to lie if I tell you. Okay, because actually that was something that I was, I was surprised when I did my research and it was number three, for, according to you. <laughs> and why? Is it only smoking? No, it's actually exposure to, to chemicals and other particles okay. in the air. Okay. Um, so it was interesting. Um, Can it be perfume as well? <laughs> well, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. Just think about there are chemicals in perfume. It's yeah. not a natural fragrance. So that's what my th- where my thought process was. Woman that doesn't smoke is exposed to maybe secondhand smoke and chemicals in the air. Um, but what else can be a contributing factor then to l- lung cancer? Would it be, well, I know like the new age or not, new trend now is like vaping. Yes. Does that play a role? And, I think so. And it's all chemicals. So young, young kids also, what's the, the smoker? Uh, yeah, hooker. <laughs> yeah, hooker. <laughs> hooker so I, I have no idea what you talk, guys are talking about. Um, I, I actually um, think that um, we are seeing more and more studies and uh, legislation around the use of e-cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know what, uh, there are... So many different types, none of them regulated. Mm. So you actually really do not know what's in there. It's like um, buying something that you you are familiar with from um, a different supplier and complaining that, oh, yeah, but you know what, it didn't work. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, marketing is the hype, um, and what we do know about uh, vaping is that it can cause lung injury. Okay. Um, it's taken the, the tobacco out. It hasn't taken the nicotine out, but what if they replaced the tar, et cetera, et cetera, with? So, you, you know what, it can um, also cause lung damage, which, you know what, it's, it, we don't have enough data to say whether it's causing cancer or not. But if we just think about how polluted our air is, now, if you think that you're living in the free state where there's clean air, <laughs> the problem that you have is that twice a year, when they are busy in the lands, plowing and harvesting, etc., etc., all those dust particles contains chemicals like the pesticides that they used, etc., etc., which you inhale. So, um, you know what, unless you live in an unspoiled forest, um, you know what, you are exposed to environmental factors. Um, So how do we screen for lung cancer? 
I just remember when I was still a student, and that was many, many, many years ago, we were screened yearly with lung x-rays. That was the first, but that was for TB. Um, I don't know if a cough is indicative, no. a con- chronic cough. No. Um, so, you know what, uh, can, uh, lung cancer, mm-hmm. it's also one of those things that... Um, Hides. Hides, yeah. Oh. It's it's when you have a chronic persistent cough and suddenly you have a little bit of blood that comes out, okay, now there's an, an, an issue. So um, I, I don't know. No, cancer doesn't present with pain. And this is one of the things and that holding people your breath, forget. I, I know that like there's these uh, tests that you can do if you can hold your breath for X amount of time and you can't, like that also might play a factor in, your lung health? I, it's lung health, yes. I, I would think that that's got to do with lung capacity and okay. lung volume, but not not with cancer. So, you know what? It's all about imaging tests. When you when you screen for cancer, you screen with imaging tests. It's imaging x-rays. Imaging only. would be anything where you take a look at the internal... Okay. structure of tissue, whether this is a pap smear, whether this is a mammogram, whether this is an X-ray or a CT or an MRI scan or a thermal scan. So, you know what, imaging would okay. be your, your best bet. Um, then one of the other cancers, which I think people forget, and it's probably, for me, in any case, one of the most debilitating of all cancers, and this is colorectal cancer. Um, And um, colorectal cancer is cancer that starts in either the colon or in the rectum. People people forget that, you know, the rectum is about 10 centimeters, at least your anatomy is better than mine, it's about 10 10 centimeters long. So it's not just the anus. The anus is you have anorectal cancer, and that is quite prevalent in men. There is cancers that's prevalent in the anus, but it's a discussion for another day. Um, and it usually starts with the formation of a small polyp. And um, the problem around that is also something that you do not notice. Colorectal cancer is one of the cancers that is notoriously late in its presenting with symptoms. Okay, but I thought, my mind says to me, there's usually bleeding when you, when you have bowel movement and we ignore Not it. Not always. And think it's just a hemorrhoid that's going to go away. <coughs> so, or is constipation maybe another factor that you can look out for? Or is that then also too far along? Not I, too far along. I would along, say any along. change in bowel habit. Okay. Any change in bowel habit, whether it's constipation or diarrhea or changes in consistency of stool, that is. Um, longer than a couple of days. You know what, you can have diarrhea or a stomach bug for one or two days. Uh, If you are like me and you travel, 
you know what, I usually get a little bit constipated for the first few days. Um, so I, I, I think if it's uh, a change in bowel habits and bowel movement for a prolonged period of time, yes, absolutely, this is something that you should discuss with your healthcare provider. But you know what, how many people want to discuss with the doctor uh, how often they go to the loo or the consistency of these stools. That's a big issue because we see it in our practice as well. That's a question we usually need to prompt people to talk about. They don't offer that information, which I mean is our role. We have to talk about it. Um, my biggest thing is I want you to talk about the debilitating factors of colorectal cancer. It's the most undignified um, cancer in my mind that you can have in the sense of when they take that piece of colon and rectum out. If they can. If they can. So, and, and uh, before we go there, what, why you should be screening for this, it's not just for cancer, it's what goes hand in hand with it. Exactly. And I, I think that's incredibly important. So I, I mentioned that um, colorectal cancer usually starts with a small polyp. Mm-hmm. Um, in the inside lining of the colon. Now, Elise, you are right. As this polyp starts growing, it also has its own blood vessels. Yes. And the blood vessels that sits on the top of the polyp are stretching and they become fragile and they have a tendency to bleed, but the body has a, a wonderful way of clotting. Mm-hmm. Your platelets will clot. So it's not as if you are gushing blood from your anus. Um, you know what? If you don't go and look for blood, most probably you are not going to find it. And it also depends on where in the colon the polyp is or the cancer is developing, how it would present. So if it's lower down, for instance, in the rectum, it would be bright red blood. So like you said, maybe a little bleeding hemorrhoid or a little fissure. And you just, when you wipe, you see a little bit of redness on the toilet paper. But it can be intermixed with a stool. And then it can be high up in the colon and where the blood is already changed from red blood to a dark coffee ground kind of stickiness, which is either It's a congealed blood type yes, of color. Yeah. Yes. So think of ox blood. Do you mm-hmm. know what ox blood is? Yes. That, so, you know, but that's, that's more your sure. um, changes that you find when the, you have bleeding because of cancer high up in the colon. So what's important then? What screening. What is important is screening. Absolutely. How often? Now, here, there's a little bit of controversy. Hmm. So if we, if we screen, screening should start at the age of 45. And most people... If you tell them that they have to go and have a colonoscopy, especially men, would run for the hills. There are other ways of testing. 
Remember we spoke about blood in the stool? Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of things that causes blood in your stool. And one of the most, I would say, accurate types of <coughs> testing for cancer would be stool-based tests where we have um, immunochemical tests that you can check for um, changes in, in stool con- um, where there's DNA from these broken cells, etc., etc. Highly sensitive occult blood tests um, in feces, fecal blood tests for occult blood. And I think that's probably one of the better tests to go and do. Do you think that's the first line test to do? Internationally, it's becoming that. Yes, absolutely. Um, There's a movement away from um, direct visualization with with colonoscopy because you can miss it. Yes. Okay, interesting. It's it's, it's not something um, that is that obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes people will have a routine colonoscopy and they, if it's it's not already um, something that's quite far developed, and if you think about, you don't pick up a stage one cancer. No, you don't. Um, on a on a colonoscopy, it's usually a stage three or stage four. Already. Correct. So you know, but then it's already late, mm-hmm. um, and then treatment becomes an issue because it's resection of a bowel. And when you resect a part of a bell, you also need to now take into consideration how far has this cancer spread? Is it the full thickness of the bell? Is it spreading laterally? Has it spread through the bell um, into the abdomen already? Um, So here, and this is, I think, what Elise has been referring to is where it becomes mm, horrible, uh, for a lack of a better word. It's humiliating, debilitating, where patients need col- uh, colostomies, where you bring a part of a bell out onto the stomach, like a wall, and you have to walk around with a bag. Um, and sometimes those things are not reversible yes. again. So, you know, no one wants to walk around with a colostomy bag. Yeah. Um, The treatment options are resection, chemotherapy, radiation therapy. Depends on the type of cancer, I I assume. And differently the staging of the cancer. Yeah, that's also something... That's important. Staging and grading of types yeah. of cancers. So if we, the treatment plan. if we look at colorectal cancer, highly prevalent. You should start at the age of 45. Um, we do have um, fecal occult blood tests available in South Africa. Um, you know, so that is something that you can do. 
I still recommend colonoscopies. Our surgeons um, are highly trained. But I would say that you go for a colonoscopy at the age of 55 onwards um, every five years. If you have a history of colorectal cancer in your family, your risk of having it, this is one of those inherited cancers that they speak about. You have a higher risk of having colon cancer if you have a close family member like mm. a father, a brother, a mother um, who has been diagnosed with cancer. And you know what? Again, uh, occult blood, all you, all you do is you give a stool sample, it's sent to a lab, and then your other option is colonoscopy. And I would include with that a gastroscopy. Um, because uh, it's difficult to get to the small intestine uh, through the colon because of all the bends that it has, but you can get into the proximal area, in other words, the start of your um, small bowel, the duodenum, yeah. with, with um, flexible scans. Now, City Lease, these Three other cancers. We can group them, I actually. actually. I actually want us to speak about cervical cancer. Okay. Um, Sampiwe, what do you know about cervical cancer? Nothing at all. Do you know it's one of the most prevalent cancers in women and it's also one of the cancer that can be prevented? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. So, you know what? Let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. Cervical cancer is common, and it's cancer of the cervix. Mm. Actually, Elise, you explain it a little bit better. It's <coughs> it's changes in in those mucosa. Yes, um, that sits in the cervix, usually. Yes, in the cervix. So that we call it the transformation zone. That's mm. where the inner lining of the uterus meets up with the mouth of the uterus, which is called the cervix. There the cells changes. Um, from so uh, what Elise is basically describing is if you think about it, it's skin from the face going onto the lip. Lip, exactly. And then where your pink starts mm. of the lip, that's a transition zone. Yeah. Okay. So does that make now make sense? Yes. So it's going from dry to wet. The tissue type changes. Yeah. From normal skin to mucosal skin. Yes. That's a better word a description. And that is usually where your um, cells start it starts changing as and is more um, prone to. Like viruses, let's talk about the HPV, yes. human, human papilloma virus, likes to go and sit in that transformation zone. Yeah. And that is where cervical cancer is coming from. Yes. So human papilloma virus. Thank you, Elise. Um, it was a brilliant introduction to that. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Because, Simpiwe, human papilloma virus mm -hmm. is sexually transmitted. Oh. HPV. 
Okay. It's sexually transmitted, and it's one of a few, if not the only cancer that I know of, that is preventable with a vaccine. This gets interesting. Okay. So, what is this vaccine like? Elise, when did we start seeing the vaccine? It was in the early 2000s. Um, I want to go back and I can give you a year. 2009 was the big hype. But it was launched in South Africa. Big hype about launching HPV vaccination Mm. in 2009. Okay. And it's um, cervical cancer is something that you should be screening for from when you become sexually active. Okay. So this is unlike most of your other cancers where we start screening after the age of 45, 50. Correct. With cervical cancer, you start screening in your 20s. Okay. And when you do the screening, if they do find anything, is that when you take the vaccine? or is No, that's that's what I want to tell you now. So before you become sexually active. Okay. You have to have the vaccinations. And it's three vaccinations. Sure. Yeah. It's like normal, like measles vaccination. Before you get the disease, you get your vaccinations. Okay. And that protects you against HPV. Hmm. So mums, think about this one. Cervical cancer, one of the most prevalent cancers, and usually also one of the cancers that you do not pick up. Um, It's something that you can prevent. So talk to your healthcare provider about the human papillomavirus or the HPV uh, virus uh, or (coughs) HP virus vaccination for both your sons and daughters. Because human papillomavirus in men causes anal cancer, Hmm. which is actually more prevalent than cervical cancer. Sure. And it's that gender fluidity is playing a big role in fueling this cancer, where boys sleep with boys and girls um, and they spread the virus, which is preventable by having a vaccination. So, Elise, how do we screen for cervical cancer? Pap smear or vault smear. Okay, that's not relevant now, but definitely pap smear. If you're sexually active at least once a year, go for a pap smear. And then what most probably will happen is if there is abnormal cells picked up on your pap smear, it will be monitored, either with a recommendation from the pathologist to repeat it within six months. We like to be preventative, and if we do pick up abnormal cells, we refer to a specialist, gynecologist. Yeah, Um, in in the early stages, cervical cancer is very treatable. Yeah. It goes through stages. We call them cervical um, interstitial neuplasias. That's right. Cervical interstitial neuplasias. So you have different grades. You have a SIN1 lesion. Mm -hmm. um, And it's often missed 
if you don't do a proper pap smear. Okay. Now, in my days and in Sister Elise's days, when we performed pap smears, it was done with a wooden spatula. Yes. <laughs> um, where you had to go and you would had to find the cervix, which was sometimes a little bit difficult, especially in younger women. Um, and you would need to scrape tissue and put that tissue then onto a, a, a little glass, glass plate. And, then and you had to fixate it with spray. And then it was sent to the pathologist that then looked at it. Today, it's very, very simple and very, very comfortable. It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little brush. Soft brush. So it's no longer what your mothers experienced when they had pap smears. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's treatable. If it's a SIN1 lesion, we can treat it with acid. Hmm. A SIN2 lesion can also treat it. Be treated. No, are, we, are we moving that, over to a, that's a, usually a, a let's. Yeah, or they just cauterize that cauterize area, it. and then the depends Since on how far it was invaded. Yeah, um, we we do in a small little excision. Yeah, it, they, it's called we say let's, but it's called large loop excision of the transformation zone. Okay, and then stage four, and I, I'm going to become personal here. My sister, at the age of 33, after years of having normal pap smears within a year, went from a normal pap smear to a sinful lesion, and at the age of 33, she had to have a hysterectomy. Oh, no. So, again, sure. this is something that you can prevent. Mm -hmm. We are getting married later. We're living longer. So, often, children uh, are born later. So your risk is higher. Um, so again, uh, human papillomavirus vaccination and proper screening. Elise, we have endometrial cancer and breast cancer. So endometrial cancer, not that prevalent. Yeah. But shall we quickly touch on breast cancer? We can. Uh, I think we spoke about a lot about breast cancer previously as well. But um, screening is the most important, and screening start with yourself. You need to know your boobs, how they look, how they feel. Be familiar with them. And if you don't know how, just YouTube and see These how… beautiful, yeah, beautiful. Um, see how you can examine yourself and what to look out for. Stupid little things like a, a rough area on your nipple, it, we always think it's maybe just eczema, but if it becomes more prevalent or bigger, it needs investigation. Is there? If I, I, I actually want to say to you, if there's anything on your boob that changes, see your healthcare provider. Yes, exactly. But the screening starts with yourself. Yeah, self-breast examination. Yeah, and interestingly enough, usually the partner is the one that picks up. Yeah. If there's Men a… Men diagnose breast Breast nodules before women do. Yeah. And then for more professional screening, um, a mammogram is. And still I the always, gold standard. Still yeah. the gold standard. I, I also tell our ladies, lady patients, female patients to just go for a baseline to see what is going on in your boobs. Even doesn't matter what age you are. Go for a baseline and then... After the year 40, 
After the age of 40. 40. Then um, it becomes a yearly examination. So it's every two years. um, And they wanted to change it to every five years. But you know what? It goes that change in screening every five years was more about creating equality than it is preventing. Um, We know that the prevalence of breast cancer is becoming higher. So we've touched on the cancers. What causes cancer? And I I want you guys to listen to this. So, Simpiwe, what what in your mind causes cancer? We've touched on a couple. Smoking, we've said. Okay. Definitely. I think we could, isn't that the usual like lifestyle grouping? Just Okay. What else would you put um, under lifestyle? Stress. I'm not um, sure if it would fall under here. Okay. You know what? Indirectly. Okay. It's going to be stress. And the reason I say indirectly is there's no proof that stress or injury or mood or disposition causes cancer. So people often say people that hold on to trauma gets cancer um, or will develop cancer. That's a load of crock. Um, It's stress changes your immune system's ability to function. So if we're under high amounts of stress, we release hormones like cortisol, and cortisol increases glucose, which can lead to um, weight gain and obesity, and it changes your immune system. And it's the changes in the immune system that is associated with a change in risk for cancer. So I've also just chatted touched on another one, obesity. Overweight and obese patients have a higher risk of developing cancers. So are patients with a sedentary lifestyle, secondhand smoke, chemicals. um, And you know what, how do we avoid chemicals? In today's life, I think it's incredibly difficult. Um, And then uh, alcohol. Mm. One unit of alcohol changes your risk for developing colorectal cancer. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking to think about how many people have a glass of wine every night with dinner. One glass. You would never classify them as heavy drinkers, but one unit of alcohol has the ability to change your risk for developing colorectal cancer. Is that good alcohol or bad alcohol? Any alcohol. (laughs) So, you know what, I have to be honest, I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm a better person on alcohol. (laughs) I'll do my my occult blood and (laughs) tests. You know what, at least I don't have to look at my shit. Someone else has to. Um, But everyone else has to deal with my shit if I don't drink. Exactly. So, okay. Simply, we have given me the lasso. This hour has gone past in a heartbeat. We can talk about cancer 
and scan, cancer screening and cancer prevention. Yes. Um, if you want to know more, if you are in doubt, if you are worried about this, please have an open and frank discussion with your healthcare provider. Um, we know that this is something that affects one in three people in the United States at some point of their lives. It's probably not the most accurate assumption to do it in in sub-Saharan Africa. Our lifestyles are a little bit different. But skin cancer in, in our country, as well as colorectal cancer, is increasing dramatically uh, year on year. And it's something that if picked up early, the treatment is far more effective. You have a far better prognosis and it's less debilitating on both you, the patient, as well as your family members. So next week, we are continuing with our uh, theme on women's health and we'll be joined by Dr. Ansi Ghos, who's a clinical psychologist and we're going to take a look at the most common mood disorders and afflictions of mental health that women are faced with. So please follow us next week um, on Thursday when we'll be back. Until then, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.